0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Aliopod. We treat reading as a
1: sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books.
0: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
1: I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenawa of Te Awakairangi where I'm recording today. Hello. Hi, lovely.
0: Oh, look at your beautiful teacup, look at your beautiful face, it's all happening. I wonder who gave me this beautiful teacup. Could it have been you? (laughs) It might have been. I have excellent (laughs) taste, especially in teacups and friends. It's true. It's
1: very true. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm currently drinking a Dr. Pepper, so I feel extremely happy with myself.
1: Did you go to Costco?
0: I did not, but I dragged my husband to Ikea, and he was very gracious about it. And then I took him to... Starbucks afterward, and we felt real American. It was cool.
1: (laughs) I tried to go to Starbucks the other day, actually, and the queue was massive, so I did not stick around.
0: The only reason I went, I think, was because they're putting one in my local shopping center, and it has been, like, probably 15 years since there's been one in my local shopping center. Like, we had a bunch, and then it sort of collapsed. Mm. There were, like, 10 left in the country, and now they are, like, more and more popping up. But I saw that it was going in, and I was like, that's interesting. And then my first thought was, how late will they be open? Because that's the, that's the thing. If they're open till 6, then, like, whatever, I could go to any cafe. But if they're open until, like, 8 or 9, a
1: they're going to get me. Yeah,
0: mm. yeah Nice. That's so exciting. Um, did anything spark joy for you this week?
1: Well, I went to the Taylor Swift Era's Tour concert film last night with Ooh. my friend Meredith at 6 p.m. A sold-out performance at the Embassy Theater in Wellington, which is delightful. Um, it was so fun It was Mm. so fun I've really noticed this year that people just Like I've been to, you know, Harry Styles Been to this thing, been to the Barbie screenings Mm. People just want to dress up And I think specifically, women just want to dress up Go with their mates, have a fun time In a space that feels safe That is predominantly female Where Mm. they don't have to pretend They don't have to feel awkward about it They can just unapologetically love what they want to love And it is such a good vibe And I am here for it, I'm here for this vibe And we should keep doing it Keep doing it. Cringe culture is dead. I am cringe, but I am free. Yeah. It was so fun. Like, genuinely joyful. Yeah.
0: Like, all of the people standing up and, like, bouncing around and singing along. And you did the little, um... Story. What are they called? The stories on Instagram. I was just like... (gasps) That looks so good. And I was so happy for you.
1: Everyone was sitting down and like singing along, sure, whatever. And it was really nice actually, because you can chat with your friends. It's not like a movie. So you don't have to be Mm. quiet. Like you could chat with your mates and whatever. And, you know, the sound was great, singing along to all the songs. And then we got to the 1989 era and that's when everyone started getting up and dancing, like, especially the younger girls. Like they were getting up, getting in the aisles, having a good vibe. And then they sat down again after that. So it wasn't like the whole time. But it was just such a nice nice vibe like everyone was just so happy
0: i love that
1: it feels like you know the world is a terrible place but we have pockets of joy
0: (laughs) go find the pockets of joy and live in them climb into them yeah i love that what sparked joy for you this week okay so my husband loves panel shows i've spoken about this before and i just do not like they're okay but australian panel shows yes i get the references love that british panel shows i don't really care enough about british news sorry to everybody in the uk who may or may not listen uh but like i just don't absorb enough to get the jokes Mm -hmm. so i'm like you have to find something i can watch too that's funny so finally i gave up and i'm like i'm getting dropout tv and he's like not another streaming service and i was like well you can't do anything about it because i'm going to buy it for you and i did it as a gift membership and on On the gift message, I wrote suck on this because I'm a really nice wife. (laughs) And, um, so it made him laugh. And then he was, he like begrudgingly installed it on his devices. And then he spent the entire week watching it. And I was like, yes. So I would recommend to anybody who wants to laugh at people being ridiculous to watch Dropout TV because it's panel shows. It's very funny. It's very queer and queer friendly. And it has been a delight. And, um. It's, it's terrible to try to explain how funny it is but I promise it is very funny oh cute so it, just, it was joyful to do something for my husband and also to do it in like a bit of a mean way which is kind of a running bit for us <laughs> that you're mean mean out of love <laughs> I'm only mean when I'm doing nice things I'll be like you have to eat the sandwich that I made for you don't even argue <laughs> like I can't I can't be mean when I need to be because when I'm what I need to be mean, I'm just like, I will destroy him because I am a destroyer of worlds.
1: I see, I see, I see. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so that was good. I would, um, it's been nice to have things to laugh about. Like, Pockets of Joy, for sure. Hmm,
1: love that. Yeah, that should be the whole vibe going forward. I say vibe too much. Anyway,
0: that's fine. Well... let's live with the vibes. We're (laughs) vibe-based life forms.
1: Very excited. We've got a new season, obviously. Season 12. We're reading... The Raven King by Maggie Stiefvater the last one in the Raven Cycle so we will be concluding our journey with these wonderful books this season so so this week we're reading the chapters of the prologue through to chapter 6 through the theme of foresight did you have a story in the theme of foresight?
0: I do I do, Um, so I went and looked up foresight because I wanted to make sure that my references were good Um, and I mean basically it's from the early 14th century, it's like insight obtained beforehand and it's also like prudence or caution and um I really I think this is really interesting so like it compares you can compare it with the German Vorsicht which is like attention caution cautiousness um and it makes me laugh because in Ikea there are these tiny wine glasses that are called Vorsicht which are like (laughs) miniature they're like be careful only have a little bit to drink um so 80 bill wine glasses I just think they're (laughs) cute that's why I have them um but yeah so like if we accept that foresight is insight that we've obtained beforehand, then mm-hmm. like in the text this week, we can talk about how it's the ladies of 300 Foxway are waiting red right in an ocean of time and they're feeling the way that events, like, I don't know, hit their mental legs, so to speak. But yeah. in real life, like, what does it mean to have insight that you've obtained beforehand? I mean, is it through mm-hmm. experience or is it like, like the unconscious pattern matching, which I've heard some people describe as thin slicing. And that's something that really responded with me was not knowing why you knew something would happen but knowing that something would happen. So I'm going to talk about the worst foresight I could ever remember having, which is the lead up to the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So at that time, the whole year, I was, like, just trying to keep a brave face. I remember writing in my notebook in, like, mid-July that it was really hard to keep up hope because I knew that in my bones we weren't going to get a Clinton presidency the following January. Like, I just knew that it wasn't going to happen. And I was watching, like, everybody was predicting she would do all, and I was just thinking, man, I really hope I'm wrong. Man, I really hope this is, you know, this is going to bear out. And this was before we had a global pandemic, which was, like, the proving ground for world leaders everywhere. But even then, I was like, I cannot imagine a less qualified candidate than 45. Um, And so, yeah, so I was, and, like, look, I was watching all of this unfold from the really privileged position of an expat, like, I was and am safe. I live in a country that doesn't really have a gun problem. We've got free health care. Like, my kids are safe. It's left-leaning compared to the U.S. And everyone around me here was really, like, confident that it was going to happen. And everyone that I talked to in the U.S. was like, yeah, for sure, we're going to get that Democrat in office. Everyone was so sure it was, it was going to go well. So when the, But I just I couldn't agree. So mm. when the results started to come in, I was not surprised. But I was really dismayed. Because it felt like a curse to know that the worst thing was going to happen and then to watch it happen. Like, why did I have to be the one whose assurances hadn't been crushed? Because I'd never properly believed it was possible in the first place. Um, And I don't know why I couldn't really believe it. I mean, there was every reason to believe that it was going to be good. Like, polls were great for a really long time. But maybe because I grew up in the U.S. in a red area of a blue state, um... Maybe because I know how hard it is to exist as a person who isn't a straight, white, wealthy male. Maybe I was, like, reading the room. Maybe I'm just spooky. I don't know. <laughs> and look, there's a tendency to rewrite history, to be like, oh, I knew that would happen. So I actually did go back and look in my journals because I wanted to see if the way I remembered it was accurate. And there's this one line in, in like, my journal in mid-July where, where I just said, I'm trying to stay hopeful, but... And then I did the little sad face which is just a line two dots and a line and I think that that's about as um telling as I like I didn't want to say either way but I I remember sitting there and writing that and being like well I'll try to be hopeful I want to think about this type of foresight that I have as protective and like I'm a naturally optimistic person so maybe knowing when things are about to get bad this is a way for me to like I don't know gird my loins or whatever But it doesn't feel protective when I'm so miserable about the prospect of being right. Like, where is the joy and satisfaction in being right when it's only when I'm right about things that are terrible, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wish I had foresight in things that were good. I wish I could predict things are going to work out for the better. But I just don't. I seem to always know when things will be bad. And it seems really, like, annoying that I can't believe. I want to believe. I really do. Um. so yeah I do experience foresight but only in a pessimistic way and it's a total bummer and I do not recommend it zero stars Aww.
1: I like the read that it's protective though that's like you only need to know when it's bad because that's when you need to take steps to like protect yourself right or to try yeah. and circumvent something or whatever so when it's good you don't need warning about that you don't need foresight about good things
0: yeah I think I'm more likely to like wrestle things into being good I'll be like oh no we had a car accident but that's fine because we were running late anyway now we can call and be like we're running late because we had a car accident and no one's hurt how great is that like I will find the silver lining for every cloud but it's like when I know things are going to be bad and then they are and I'm just like "Oh, I can't even be smug about this <laughs> like, it's, it's very frustrating for me I really like to be right
1: no. yeah
0: <laughs> I know, it's so silly. I And I just think about that election a lot, how I was like, we're never going to get it. <laughs> just felt so despondent. Oh, the world is a garbage fire.
1: Do you think that's protective as well in the way that you didn't dare to hope because losing that hope would have hurt too much? Like, if you had believed and then it was taken away, you knew that that would be... So painful that you're just like, I just will be pleasantly surprised because I feel like that's how I approached events after COVID, where I'm like, I can't yeah. I'm just gonna assume it's not happening until I'm actually there because otherwise
0: Yeah. I mean I've never thought of it that way. I do feel like I'm not trying hard enough to believe. And I don't know if it's because I'm just actually quite a like I can't get there unless I'm there kind of person. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's if it's that. I mean I remember being like, Yes, this is gonna be great. It's gonna happen. But, like, I was more psyching myself up to belong to this group of people who were 100% fully focused on the outcome happening that they Mm. wanted. And I was like, I really want to get there, too. Like, I was trying to fake it till I made it. Yeah. I don't know if I am going to be like this my whole life or if this is just the biggest example I have. But I hope that I can be more, I don't know, more of a believer, maybe. Yeah. But then, I've never gotten into a cult, so that's probably (laughs) good. Maybe this is saving me. A good
1: marker. A good marker for sure. (laughs) I just can't really buy it. Alright, I'll do our chapter summaries, because I feel like you set us goop for a good discussion. So, in this section, Gansey is aware of his impending death, and the women of 300 Foxway, Minus Blue, and Plus Artemis gather to discuss the impending future of Gansey and everyone. Ronan pulls someone important from his dreams, which causes Cape's Water to catch its breath. Then Blue gets suspended from school and Noah admits to Blue he's decaying, but says it's no time for him to go yet. Which is very moving.
0: It's very moving. So like all of this all of the foresight in this section. The first line of the book is Richard Gansy the Third had forgotten how many times he'd been told he was destined for greatness, right? Hmm. Like that's foresight as a birthright.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And like he was a king, you know, he's got all this this weight on him. It's the same with Blue, how she was always told that, you know, she was going to kill her first love, like a true love, right? Yeah. So she always has this hanging over her. I think there's so much about Gansey's impending death that informs the section and the foresight of that, like, because it's been predicted, right? It's been foreseen. Yeah. Gansey understands, and we know now that he's understood all along that this is the year that he dies. The I love this description from the woman at 300 Fox Way where they just say on page five, you know, they decide to finally assess... His impending doom, the disintegration of their lives as they knew them, and who and what those things had to do with each other. Like I love this connection between it's Gansey's death that has led to their lives being upturned, and now they need to actually interrogate that. And yeah, yeah.
0: I love the visual of the tree that they make too. The way that they're 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 like looking through their life as memory, and then looking forward as clairvoyance, and like trying to sort out the present by looking backward and looking forward. It's a really beautiful. Like visual illustration of how they're working through all their knowledge.
1: Beautiful illustration of connection as well, right? What connects them to each other, the connection between Artemis and Gwenllian and like it's just such a strong image.
0: The roots, the trunk the branches, the bit that's rotten um, the bit that's growing, the bit that's growing away from them, which we know is blue, but they don't want to think about it
1: and this ability they have to, like, divine the future as a means of foresight, right, it allows them to mm. make decisions the way they slip through time, can see through time, have a different understanding yeah. of time, but there's still so much they don't know, and so your foresight can only take you so far.
0: Yeah, and also, like, knowing doesn't mean you have the ability to change anything. More mm. make- makes that point with Orla when she says, I would not pretend to imagine I have any power to stop Gansey from searching Virginia for his own grave. Like, she's really clear about how they're just getting information here. They can't actually do anything about it. Every time there's a suggestion of action, they're all kind of like, well, we really can't, can we? Yeah.
1: And there's also something about, you know, the use of the church watch as a method for foresight. And they've got so many things. You know, they've got the tarot. They've got the scrying. Mm -hmm. Well, all of it is laid Mm -hmm. out for us in this section. But... You know Maura says on page nine, the church watch doesn't apply to us when Jimny asks if someone's gonna die, and then Aurilla points out it does apply to blue mm. and Maura says there's no guarantee of safety. there are fates worse than death, like just because she didn't appear in the church watch doesn't mean that something terrible won't happen to her, right So yeah. again, foresight only takes you so far, and it doesn't like you said doesn't let you intervene,
0: yeah, absolutely. it's giving me um strange new worlds vibes like Mm. Captain Pike knowing his fate but still like having to choose to go forward and like do his best now oh
1: yeah knowing the future hey it's quite a scary thing and Noah like he knows it's not his time to go because he's trapped in this loop
0: yeah oh yeah can we talk a little bit about Noah and the way that he finally accepts or finally is willing to show Blue what's really happening to him hmm I find that so touching that Blue is really... She's really horrified by the thing that Noah has become. But she decides, I will call it Noah until it doesn't want to be called Noah anymore. Like, she's like, whatever you are, you are still my friend and I will still love you.
1: What a kindness and what love from her, I thought. Like, it just really showed the connection she has to him and how she's just willing to hold this space for him. She's beautiful. And she's always going to mourn him. Like, she's the one who's most willing to just hold him in this horrible situation that he's in I think
0: yeah and I think they're connected and I think they're more connected in some way now because at the beginning he was just with the boys all the time but now he's only ever around Blue because she's the battery she's the only thing that really can connect him to the world of the living which means that everything goes through her right yeah
1: and Gwen makes that point when she's like oh you feel so alive because you're trapped between two mirrors ha 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 and Blue's like oh I thought he was just having a fun time
0: yeah. <laughs> she's mad at Clean for like pointing it out. I kind of both love and hate Clean and I think that that means that the character is doing the job right in the text. Like I love that she is the one who kicks over the rocks and is like look at all the creepy wiggly stuff here but I also hate it like just stop kicking over the rocks they're fine covered in boss just leave them you know. Yeah she's
1: a disruptor for sure.
0: Yeah I thought it was interesting that Mora described her or that she was described in the text as being half as powerful as Blue, but twice as difficult. Mm. I was like, she's way more than twice as difficult as Blue. <laughs> Blue's very accommodating. Gwinklian's a mess. I also love that Blue
1: has the observation that people think that she talks and she's so annoying and she acts out the way she does because she's been like trapped asleep for hundreds of years. And she's like, yeah. mm, I think she's just always been like this. <laughs> yeah.
0: I did sort of privately enjoy the fact that Artemis is clearly terrified of her and I'm, that's, a, that's an appropriate response. You locked her to sleep and keep a demon at bay for <laughs> 600 years. Like, you should be running, my friend. Hide in a pantry. Do what you need to do. Like, you deserve whatever she gives to you. <laughs> like,
1: I love that he's described as having really sad eyes that you know he's seen too much of the he's seen the world and he's decided it's too much. I'm like, yeah, man, I feel like that some days. That Mood. is a fair feeling. I also want to hide in the pantry.
0: <laughs> Hiding in the pantry is a viable thing, I will say that. <laughs> What do you think as of foresight as a
1: predictor of behavior? Because I thought, you know, we get these moments where Blue is sort of anticipating how Noah is going to behave, and also Adam anticipates Ronan in a way. Like Ronan's not present in that mm. chapter between Gansey and Adam. But he, you know, Adam has these observations where he's like, he doesn't know why Gansey would believe that Ronan would be anywhere near here, has never displayed any kind of behaviour that would suggest he would come to this class. And like, yeah. he says on page 17, if Ronan had been here, he would have said everywhere is a crime scene. Like, he's anticipating. And then, you know, when Gansey's like, well, he's, he says, oh, I thought it was a rhetorical question because he has the foresight to know that, Adam, yeah. like, that Ronan just isn't present. <laughs> was never yeah, going to yeah. be present. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. That's a good way of, of looking at it. Like, is knowing that someone wouldn't be there, but what they would say and do is a bit of foresight. It's like being able to plug them in in a way. It kind of mirrors what the women of 300 Fox Way are doing, right? Hmm. Yeah. Like,
1: anticipating.
0: Yeah. Just having that awareness. Like, it's like pattern recognition, right? It's predicting what will happen. It's knowledge obtained beforehand. So, like, yeah, I think that that is foresight because it's just using the applied knowledge of all of the things that Ronan has ever said and done up to that point And being able to mm. make a call on what he would say or do. I do think that that is very accurate to Ronan, but I think Adam messes up a little bit here with, with Gansey because he's like, he knows what he wants for Ronan and he knows how Gansey gets things. And I'm like, no, this is literally the first time Gansey has ever been shady about something. Like, this is proving you right in the worst way, but, like, this is not a pattern for Gansey.
1: Yeah, and it's not a pattern for Gansey's family either, because the prologue is pains to say they never ask. They just do onto others and hope that it's done onto them.
0: That beautiful line about reaching into the night dark water and hoping for a sword. I also think
1: this, when you talk about, you know, knowledge gained to inform behavior, I think, like, Adam and Ronan, they both think they have the foresight to save Gansey. Like Ronan thinks mm-hmm. because he knows about the wasps and he's trying to dream him EpiPens and stuff. So he's like, okay, I'm going to dream him a skin, a skin mm. of armor, and that'll protect him. And then Adam's like, I'm going to find Glendower and then that'll solve all our problems. Like they, they're trying to use this knowledge they yeah. have to inform the future.
0: They're the magicians. That's what they want to do. They want to change the pattern of of what has been shown, right? They believe mm. that they can change what they know to come true. I think it's just interesting that everybody in this section feels like they're running out of time. Like, we're getting that over and over. And this this is the death knell of the book, right? Well, I mean, not death knell. It's like the tolling bell of the book. It beats like a heartbeat throughout it that they don't have enough time. They don't have enough time. They don't have enough time. Or time itself is running out. But you really get it here where Ronan feels like he's running out of time and Gansey knows that this is the year he dies and you know mm. the women of 300 Fox are having to make decisions about like how much involvement they're going to have with the actions that are going to be undertaken around this event that's happening whether or not they're involved mm.
1: yeah it's just a lot it is a <laughs> lot
0: um, also I want to talk about this is really hard for me because it makes me want to like tear my face off Adam at night replays their work their group project in the cave he thinks about it every night before he goes to sleep because he felt so intrinsic like Mm. i i'm fine this is fine
1: yeah i i noted that as well like he he feels connected and therefore he feels worthy for the first time in his life like he has a real purpose yeah it's so important to him hey
0: (sighs) i'm just gonna go break something real quick i'll be right back
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's interesting because it's sort of mirrored in the way that Ganzi also, you know, he spends all that time trying to find his own place in this magical world because he also needs to feel connected. He doesn't just want to be a normal in this situation. He wants to know why he was saved. And Blue, when we meet her in the first book, she wants her own destiny. She also wants to be a part of this magical world even though she feels like she isn't. So there's this real thing about needing this connection with each other in order to feel like you're worth something.
0: Yeah, it's like having a job that makes a difference to the greater whole, right? Yeah. And I know that's a really prosaic way of putting it, but if you don't feel like you contribute or, I don't know, I there's a Tumblr post that crossed my dash last week that's like, hey, everybody who had to walk on the grass instead of on the sidewalk, I see you. And everybody who tried to say something but no one else would stop talking, I see you. And I was just like, oof, because haven't we all been there, especially as adolescents? Like, that just feels like what Adam feels like all the time or what Gansey is feeling like when it comes to making real friends true friends not just like the surface level gansey boy rowing club friends and this is ronan not trusting anyone except for like two people and blue not not knowing that there are other friendships out there and feeling just really alienated because she can't get there with her school friends right
1: yeah and i i kind of love this for adam as well as like a real moment of growth like he's grown so much over this series like it's quite phenomenal and that he has this you know, he has to touch Gansy's shoulder in order for Gansy to slip into this mask that he has with Mm -hmm. his school friends. Like, he needs that connection with Adam to assume this kingly persona. And normally that would have driven Adam absolutely wild. But he notes that he's like, I'm cool with it. I'm confident with my place in Gansy's life. I don't need to play this game. Whatever. I'm just going to silently walk next to him. That is miles apart from where we were in book one.
0: Yeah. And yet he's thinking about this in the, As well as at the same time, like he's thinking about how was this thing at Cave's order? Was this somewhere that we didn't measure up? Like it it didn't feel like enough. We still didn't get Glendower. That like he's he and Gansey both kind of think this was a test that they failed. Mm. But he's also dwelling on it not as like what could I have done better, but like how good it was to be working with purpose in that group where everybody had something to do.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. I just
0: really love it. It it just it broke me a little. Mm-hmm. I was mad. I had to go and like sort fabric for half an hour to calm him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really like, her. <laughs> he
1: always gets to you, out Adam.
0: He's a uh, he's one of my blorbos. I think. <laughs> I just want to protect him, and also I really want to shake him. So I think I feel like I definitely relate to him because that's. The characters that i really relate to are not the ones that i admire right off the bat the ones that i can like see a lot of myself in and i'm like i have that fault and i don't like it in me so i'm not gonna like you so that's where i've been with adam for a lot of this but like watching him grow has been especially in conversation with you jen like watching this happen as we've watched adam develop into a different person to like growing toward a healthier person i don't know it's been something really special
1: and it's hard for him. I think that's something we really recognize. Yeah. Like he is doing hard things. Like he fights his internal instincts a lot of the time. Like even him and Gansey in this situation where they're like, Ganzi's like, I don't wanna fight. I don't wanna fight.
0: You yeah. know? And they yeah. both
1: are like, Whatever, let's move on, you know? They don't get into this spiral that they would have gotten into before. Although I have to say I love the connection between when Gansey says, I don't wanna fight, Adam immediately goes, Oh Ronan Like the connection between Ronan and fighting. <laughs> intrinsic. <laughs>
0: Yes. I love that. There's another part of that section that really gets to me. And that's where like Adam is preventing him from going in. And then Gansy has to take a phone call from his mom and like Adam's movement shifts from preventing him from going in to positioning himself as a lookout for anybody who might be observing them. And it's just a tiny little gesture. It's like one sentence, but it really hit me this time thinking about like, no, they, they can fight with each other, but they also really love each other
1: yeah it's a real maturity thing right to be like i'm disagreeing with you but i will al- i'm also on your side like i'm still on yeah. your side we're disagreeing but right now i'm going to protect you in this moment because we're doing something else and i think there's real maturity in their friendship and them as people as well
0: yeah their connection has definitely grown and like deepened and matured and i just love it so much <sighs> okay i'm gonna stop flailing it's not helpful.
1: <laughs> I think there's something about foresight in the way that Ronan talks about the Barnes and his memories of the Barnes. Like he says, his memories are being overlapped by his hopes of the after. And I think there's something really interesting in the future, mm. like what you want for your future, overtaking what you thought you wanted in the past or what your past was, like you were holding on to it, but now you're looking forward. And I think yeah. there's you need a little bit of foresight. You need to be thinking of a future for that to happen. And I think mm-hmm. Ronan, book two Ronan, didn't think about the future
0: no absolutely it was too scary too unknown but now he's looking at it like what do I want to be doing I mean he's sitting here going why haven't I quit school yet because he knows he's going to and he knows he wants to he's like oh it's the people that I love that have stopped me
1: yeah it's the connection to others right yeah
0: Yeah. and look this is my biggest beef is that I think Ronan could totally just go and finish out the year and I know that he hates it but like I think it's the right thing to do
1: I disagree, but I such a
0: parent <laughs> I
1: 100 percent disagree. He doesn't need to. School is not for everyone. He has the yeah. means to look after himself. He's just like it's such a waste of time. He's wasting everyone's time. He's being a burden on his friends. like let him live his life. He doesn't need to go to school.
0: But the thing is when you're not at school, you miss all that time with your friends. That's the thing I'm thinking of is like if he's not there, he's not going to be joined in with them in the same way. And like we see that, I don't want to like pull from the next series too much. But we do see that in the beginning of the next series where like everyone's gone and he had extra time away, and like it was a good summer, but also like
1: he was isolated. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think that there's like, like yeah, I get. Maybe he should just be able to do like online classes or something where he can turn in half an hour's worth of work a week, or have to go in two days or something. I don't know. There's got to be a middle ground. But it makes me so sad that Gansey's, like, trying to keep him close because he loves him and, like, it would be good for him. And is just like, nah, screw it. <laughs> like, oh, you're both yeah. trying in the wrong direction for each other. Like, the love is there, but, like, the understanding does not hit.
1: But it's not the fact that he didn't go, not to, again, drag from the next series. It's not the fact that he didn't finish school that keeps him where he is.
0: No, no, no. There are other reasons, yeah. But I think that that was definitely a contributing factor. I mean, I only talked to, like, two of the people I went to uni with on a regular basis. And I keep in touch with, like, four people from high school and, like, three of those four I'm related to. <laughs> so, you know, like, it's once you're not in school anymore, you don't have that everyday, ongoing relationship. And I think that that's a hard thing, especially for people leaving high school. It's a hard thing. You don't really know. Is it going to happen? Like, you're not going to be able to keep up with it? I mean, I guess not when we were young, because it was so much harder without social media. Maybe it's easier now. I don't know.
1: I mean, I would agree with you, but again, I don't think it's school that connects them. Like, school is a hindrance to their quest more than anything. Like, if he dropped out of school, it doesn't mean they're not going to hang out.
0: (laughs) That's true. But these ones, I would agree. (laughs) But I also think it's like, Gansy really likes being there. I don't know. Yeah, but you shouldn't do things just because your friends like doing it this is true if gansey jumped off a cliff and as you, i Ronan? think
1: adam really rightly points out it's no one's problem except ronin's like i love that he's gotten to that point where he's like is it a waste yes is it anyone else's problem no
0: like, this is true yeah mm. this is just me protecting my internal Ganzi nature on the situation and being like why aren't you getting this life is important oh. and i'm just being my ronin self you who have so
1: many more degrees than I do yeah but that's simply because it's easy for me if I had to make an effort if I was like basically some sort of god in human form I don't think I would be bothering
0: I'm not convinced you're not an eldritch being but we can do I,
1: I would also be committing eco-terrorism I can 100% guarantee that
0: oh man that would be fun I would not enjoy having all of those secrets, though, so please don't tell me if you ever can, because I'm a very sweaty, nervous, law-abiding citizen. Uh,
1: Captain Compliance, like I call my friend Sophie. You can also be Captain Compliance.
0: I super am. And I've stolen her water prefect gig, because it makes me happy to boss drunk people around.
1: It's quite handy to have a friend like that, to be fair. It really makes the hangover less severe.
0: It's a service. It's great.
1: Someone's gotta do it.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Who doesn't love being bossy? Occasionally.
1: I really love that line on page six where they said they were so close to the situation it was difficult to tell whether they were whether or not they were the situation. Like I love when you're Mm. so connected to something. It kind of makes it hard to see the forest for the trees, you know? You're
0: just like so into it. And then you
1: don't know if you are the problem.
0: Yeah, I get you. Yeah, it's um yeah, my my husband has a a phrase for this which is you can't touch your elbow with your hand on the same arm you know like you yeah. can't get there you're just too close to it um and he uses it when like someone is inside of a situation and can't see the perspective from the outside
1: mm, mm, smart. But i think
0: this is really true here like they're definitely hand and elbow adjacent this group of women and it's because of their connection to the kid's and also their connection to time in the ley line. I think that's just as much of it as anything. Like, water remains a mystery to them. The demonic presence under the ley line remains a mystery to them. They've never been able to, like, wholly parse it out. So they're trying to work around this lack of information, which I think is, um, it's it's really hard to connect things together when you don't have all of the info, for sure.
1: An information gap, as they call it in my line of work. We have yes. an information gap that needs to be noted. <laughs>
0: I love that. I'm jotting that down in my uh, executive notebook for use (laughs) in the future. I think that's all I had for... I mean, this is a very short section for us. It was just kind of a a bit of a hot bath to ease us into the the book, so I don't have very much marginalia-wise. Did you have any other connection or foresight.
1: I love the description how how everyone's connected on page 8 where it just says, you know, the ley line's growing power, the magical sentient forest on the ley line, one of the boys' bargain with the magical forest, one boy's ability to dream things to life, one dead mm. boy who refused to be laid to rest, and one girl who supernaturally amplified 90% of the aforementioned list. It's just such a great way to be like, this is how we're all connected. We need everyone to be connected to be in the situation that we're in. Like, you know, it was Gansey finding blue that really triggers all of this. Yeah. It's just... A really good, succinct summary of that again. And also, like, Ronan's connection to Orphan Girl and also to Caves Water, I think, really comes through in this section when he's trying to dream up the skin, this armor. And he's, like, becoming the soil. And he's just really feeling connected. And he, he, he notes the only reason he can do that is because he has that moment where he feels like there's a schism between his waking life and dreaming. Mm-hmm. And... Like, that's really narrow. Like, it's this fragile skin between being awake and being asleep. That's when he's at his most powerful, and I just think that's really interesting to note.
0: Have to keep eyes peeled for further references to that. Oh, yeah. Also, shout out
1: to Blue and Adam for reconnecting as friends and making it work and both trying. Like, that's really lovely
0: yeah they're doing the thing where they give each other little annoyed glances and like oh can you believe this guy like, I love it I'm here for it I only have two tangential marginalia mm. and that that bit was one of them when they like, or not that bit but um, the other bit that I really love is Ronan and Blue's interaction when she yep. gets in the car and you know Gansey's like do you have anything today and she says no homework I got suspended and Ronan's like get out sergeant you a-hole <laughs> and he's like so admiring of her and she's like okay we can do a fist bump like
1: (laughs) I love that and I love that she backs it up where she's like I don't want to talk about it and Ronan's like I do and she says well (laughs) I don't I'm not proud of it and Ronan's like I'll be proud of you for both of us like (laughs) it's so (laughs) cute I love this you can really see how similar they are in this section because she just like Ronan's like doesn't want to be at school finds it a waste of time frustrated Yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's great and I that's this is just one of my favorite interactions that they ever have and because that it carries a lot of their relationship like it's one of the big moments we get with them the two of them together but also it's a nice bit of levity from the last book where like their last interaction together was so fraught where he lets her take the light Mm. and we we just heard all of this about how much Ronan loves light and he loves making things that create light and he just has fireflies that go all year round because he loves them and then he like we think back, Thinking back to the end of Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue, he lets her take the light and he sits alone in the dark like, ah! So mm. I like that we get this little jokey bit of levity too. Yeah. That's balance. Oh. Um, did you have any tangential?
1: Just all the bits about Ronan that I love, as per usual. Like that bit where you said about the fireflies because the line mm. is, fanciful, purposeless, but lovely. And then he... the backs that up later where he says he fed and tamed the deer for no purpose other than delight like I love soft Ronan I love when you get these little moments of him just being really just calm and soft and I also had a couple yeah. of like really it me moments in this <laughs> section like Adam OJ Jen saying he liked it when he when people knew how to do their jobs me too Adam mm-hmm. me too uh, I, I love that
0: Oh wrote yeah, go LOL on. next to that because I thought of you <laughs> I love
1: that he's described as don't know how I missed the wind off the glacier because I'm pretty sure that I've been described like that as well so I see that and then where he says like where's Parrish in a place too far away to hike to in a day like yeah cool love that Hmm. Um, and then he also says you know tell me you won't tell me but don't lie but don't tell me a lie which 100% get that get that vibe I uttered something very similar in a very confrontational meeting on Monday so I was just like yeah Get it, Adam. I see you.
0: Yeah, say the thing. Mm. I've been working on this with everyone in my family because my daughter, I don't know how she grew up this way, but she's a hedger. So she'll walk in and she'll be like, well, I thought I might ask for this app, but it is $3. And then she'll, like, sadly put her iPad down and walk away. And I'm like, just say, Mom, will you buy me this $3 app? Like, just say it. Don't, like, preface it with this, like, emotional drama. Like, I don't understand. I, I don't walk in and say well the dishwasher hasn't been emptied but I feel like it should have been and then like leave it open and walk the child in front like I don't do that I just say hey empty the dishwasher please <laughs> like I don't know where she learned this it's not from me it's not from me so dramatic oh so dramatic she's so funny I just have to be like stop making everything terrible like it's you're gonna be okay
1: <laughs> promise. oh another tangential sorry I forgot Oh yeah. you know when they see Henry Chang on the side of the road and I mm-hmm. love that Adam and Ronan like smirk at each other and it's terrible but Gansey says when Ronan's having a crack about them protesting he says like god forbid young men display their principles with futile but public protest when they could be skipping school and judging other students from the backseat of a motor vehicle <laughs> <laughs> we all want to be judging Gansey don't be like
0: this um yes dadsy that's me I, I am that person um, mm. <laughs> I did enjoy that. I felt a bit seen. Um, my last tangential is on page sixteen. Adam contemplating life, thinking about stuff, and he says, "Other classmates complained about work, work, work. Was the island Adam swam to in a stormy, mm. stormy sea?" And I was like, mm, "Yeah, same. Things are bad. I can like do something, and then it's better." Yeah. Good old I'd be Adam. Be productive. Mm. But yeah, I think that's it for me. I mean, again, I underlined the whole thing, but... <laughs> what well, did you have an in-depth? I do. Um, so mine is on page 49. And it is right after the... Or it's during the bit where um, they're all in the Suburban on Ronan's errand, and they spot uh, Henry Chang. And Blue is having some thoughts about this. So it wasn't that she necessarily thought that her negative opinions on Raven Boys were wrong. It was just that knowing Gansey, Adam, Ronan, and Noah complicated what she did with those opinions. It had been a Mm. lot more straightforward when she just assumed that she could despise them all from the thin air of the moral high ground. So first of all, I am going to remember that phrase, the thin air of the moral high ground for a really long time, because that is a really good way of putting it, especially because I do tend to get a bit like, but I'm right. I get a bit righteously angry. So the air is pretty thin up there. Note to self. Um... Thematically, I think that the fact that Blue is so connected to the rest of the Gangsy is what makes it hard for her to keep trying to hold on to her, like, more or less accurate negative opinions of the other Aglinby boys. Like, I think that that is what's causing that friction there. The foresight of having formed these opinions before beating them is, like, accurate, but, like, still being open to connections is, like, a, a high wire act that Blue's annoyed at having to balance all the time. Um, so she doesn't just get to stride around being ignorant; she has to constantly be like, "Yes, Aglumby boys are terrible, except for my four, who are only sometimes terrible." You know. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that the text that it reminds me of is actually Nimona. So oh, yeah. *Nemona* is really interesting because it explores how like foresight and connection can intersect in the formation of a relationship. And I'm thinking mostly of the movie because it's what I've watched recently. So the movie is really clear about how, like, whatever Nimona is, because people expect the worst of her, they get the worst of her. So, like, their foresight is borne out by their by her actions, actions that they have pretty much caused her to resort to. Um, The people then get to, like, congratulate, congratulate themselves on being right without ever stopping to assess whether or not it was actually foresight and without looking for connections to deepen their understanding of, like, who or what Nimona is. And this is what makes Ballester so great, like he's willing to forge the connection and to surrender that like, common knowledge or foresight in order to like, find a better solution and to find that friendship. So I think going forward, I just want to remember that foresight can be incredibly useful. But it, if it comes at the expense of connections, I would tread really carefully. Hmm. If we expect people to be terrible, they're going to be terrible.
1: They live up to the, the expectations you set for them, right?
0: Yeah, and sometimes people genuinely are terrible, and that's fine, but, like, maybe give everybody the chance to prove themselves as terrible first. (laughs) Um, how about you? Did you have in-depth? I did.
1: I just need to find it, because it's quite long. So, my in-depth is on page 26, and it is when Ronan's just puttering about the barns, having decided not to go to school, and just, like, do some work. And it says, um, as the morning sun finally spilled and golden into the protected glen, he continued the process of restaining the worn wood staircase up to his parents' old room. He breathed in, he breathed out. He forgot to how how mm. to exhale when he wasn't at home. Time kept, kept its own clock here. A day at Aglinby was a smash-cut slideshow of images that didn't matter and conversations that didn't stick. But the same day spent at the bars proceeded with lazy aplomb full of, full of four times as many things. Reading in the window seat, old movies in the living room, lazy repairing of a slamming barn door. Hours took as long as they needed. Perfect. So I think it relates to connection because it's how you feel when you are really connected to a place or to people. Mm-hmm. So you can feel like this when you're like, you know, with the people that you really love, but you can also feel it at, a, at a place where you are calm and at peace. Like Ronan feels really sheltered and at peace at the barns in a way that he never feels anywhere else because he can just like be and he doesn't have to pretend and he doesn't have to hide bits of himself right he can just be connected to who he is and to this place that he loves i think there's foresight in a way as well because you he anticipates having that freedom like he anticipates that i can't breathe at school but i know if i go to the barns i can catch my breath i can have that and maybe that helps him hold on a bit when he feels like he's fraying and we know when he couldn't return to the barns that really affected him previously
0: yeah,
1: absolutely. um i think it, it just really stood out to me because i've been having conversations with people recently about how time moves differently when you're doing the things that you love because when you are at work sometimes A day just disappears in a blink of an eye and we're in that part of the year where everyone's like, I can't believe it's October and soon it'll be Christmas. And where has the year gone? And we lose these swaths of time because we're doing things that while our work may be meaningful and my work certainly is meaningful, it's not what sparks joy in us. It's not what I feel like I was put on this planet to do. Like I'm not on Earth to work. I want to read my books in the sun. I want to write my novels. I want to like enjoy the things that I enjoy and go for walks and do all these things. And sometimes I have these Saturdays where I just spend all day lying in the sun reading a book and an hour feels like a lifetime. Yeah. And it makes me think of when I was a kid and your school holidays would just stretch out and stretch out and stretch out. And four weeks felt like forever. Now, when I have Christmas holiday, it's over so quickly. Like you just don't have that same stretch of time. And I think it's because as adults, we have all these responsibilities and all these things that we feel we have to do, all the tasks, and it's not it's not stuff that necessarily sparks joy. Yeah. And you can't draw breath. So, yeah, when you have those moments where you can, it just feels good.
0: I like that Ron has somewhere, one place that he can just go to, like, breathe in and breathe out. What
1: I think we should do going forward is just find those moments where you can really just... Take a breath, allow yourself to feel time, not as a something that you're racing, but something that you have been given to enjoy Mm -hmm. and to just like bask in because it is a finite resource. We're not here forever. And I want to not rush through things and I want to be able to draw my breath. So,
0: yeah. I love that. And to breathe out as well. Have you ever tried breathing in and then breathing in and then breathing in and then breathing in? Like this is my friend, uh, Bethany, her husband, Troy, that's his hiccup cure. So I do this regularly when I have hiccups. Mm. And it's hard. And it's uncomfortable. So I can just imagine the relief of, like, finally exhaling. Like, (sighs) bottom of your lungs out that Ronan is feeling. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Well, who do you want to spotlight? I want to spotlight Noah, my little decaying baby. He showed his true self, and it is not a human thing. And was able to love him unconditionally anyway and i'm having a lot of feelings about it i love that noah is so close to blue and i love that noah really badly wants to be a person and i i love that noah doesn't really know how anymore but he still tries very yeah. proud of him for continuing to try but also for being honest about what's happening to him and who he is yeah how about you who would you like to spotlight the other side
1: of the coin i want to spotlight blue mm. i think she is doing him such a kindness here, and she's such a kind person. Like, she's not nice, but she's kind. She always tries yeah. to do the right thing by the people that she loves, right? And she's trying to be there for him and support him. But also, she's just, you know, she's going through it still. She's having her own struggles. Yeah. She's just been suspended from school. Like, that didn't just happen. Like, she's frustrated. And I just wanted to acknowledge her for that frustration, which is legit. You know, it's okay. Your anger is justified, you don't need to apologize for it.
0: We're in the grocery store or in the shops and there's like a baby fussing. Sometimes I'll just say, it's tough to be little. <laughs> and I feel like Blue is at that point right now. But maybe not little, but like it's tough to be 17. It's tough to be a kid. It's tough to be a teenager on the cusp of something life-changingly awful. Yeah. Um. Do you have any homework for our readers? First week back? Do I have homework?
1: Uh, not really. I did just read a book called Pit by Catherine T. T- chichi i think is her name um she's a kiwi author it's really interesting it's like sort of split between 2014 and 1984 so it's like really 80s really kiwi Mm. but it's sort of like really sinister in a way like there's just this real undercurrent of like yuckiness and you it's teenagers kind of like heathersy you know 13 year olds and then things just go terribly wrong really a manipulative adult character and yeah, it was really it was a really good read. Like I read it in two days, and I've been in a bit of a reading slump. So you know when you pick something up and you just kind of chug through it. So yeah. yeah,
0: I would recommend
1: that. Awesome. What about you?
0: Uh, my homework for our readers this week is the podcast Classy with um, Jonathan Manhevar, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting podcast about class podcast about class mobility. It's also about like his experience growing up, probably like, working class, lower middle class, and the way that he sort of, like, switched and moved through class. But also, like, he talks to uh, Jarvis Cocker, which I texted you about Mm -hmm. very excitedly, and it was such a good episode. And he also talks to, like, somebody who went to Parsons, but, like, decided that not having access to, like, her own culture was more of the problem. So it came back and started a label focused on clothes that were, like, more part of her culture and just various things like the episode titles are great too like one of them is am I a class hole and that one made me laugh because I (laughs) constantly worry about that all the time like as somebody who is also shifted classes as I've grown I always joke that I like married into a better class but I totally did so like it's just really thought-provoking and really lovely and really easy to listen to it's not um it's not too taxing it's just really good
1: you moved up you moved up you married up you did that did. thing when you moved classes
0: <laughs> I did I married up Oh, I married a Gansy, that's what I did cute
1: <sighs> yeah
0: he is pretty cute um, next week we'll be reading chapter 7 through 13 through the theme of commitment mm. it's gonna be so good
1: we're good at committing to things so that should be fun chats
0: 12 season says yes yeah long time alright well I will see you next week thank you so much Jen See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining
1: us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginalipod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities who love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this
0: time with you.